Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we take the big theater news and tell you why it matters to your small town. Yada, yada, yada. That's all important. But what is more important is that we are in the midst of spooky season. Listen, we're we're podcast. There's a ghost. I can be spooky. Spooky season. Spooky season. I am Ryan. I'm Cassie. And I have a bit. And my bit is that I have taken a picture of myself from a, a Halloween party of only theater people. Okay. And I'm not going to describe the look. I'm just going to show you the look and want you to tell me what it was supposed to be. So that those playing along at home can, okay. can, can picture this for themselves. You ready? All right. I'm ready. Cassie has not seen this. I don't think I have. No. Ooh, okay. You are bedazzled. Sure am. You are wearing a red silk shirt of some kind. It's very fancy. Mm-hmm. Are you are you a deconstructed phantom? No, but that's very good. We were going for vampire cocktail party. Okay. So obviously all vampires must sparkle. So that's why I have the uh, face jewels. It's why you are bedazzled with face jewels. Yes. It was uh, quite the party. It was quite the look. It was a whole thing. The moral right. of the story is uh, theater people do some weird things. Listen, we go all out. I, I went to many a Theta mask. Sure. Sure did. And so did sure you. Sure did. Oh, boy. Those were some. There were some costumes. It was either. And it was either like costume to a T, like everyone doing their, their best or it was everyone as fancy as possible. I spent a week hand painting a dress on my dorm room floor for a theta mask. Good, good. When I went as Miss Frizzle. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, I forgot about yeah. Miss Frizzle. I hand painted the, it was clouds and rain and a rainbow with the cityscape. And I literally hot glued prisms to my shoes. Nice, nice. For that costume. So uh, uh, we are both parents now. My children we are. are a uh, cheetah and the Mandalorian for Halloween. But they had a lot of say in what they wanted to wear. My understanding is that Kai yeah. uh, experiences the fussing often. Has the fussing uh, resulted in a specific costume choice? No, not so much. Um, we He's only going to be like two months old for Halloween. You get a uh, loaf of so bread. Do les mis. I'm not, I'm not going to spend like a ton of money on a costume for him because he's tiny. Sure is. And uh, so I actually just ordered it today because I was like, we we're trying to go clever and creative, what, you know, what have you. And then I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just, somebody else is going to do this work for me. I will get more creative like next year. Um, And so I just went scrolling through baby costumes and his nursery is woodland creature themes. So I found like a fox. Nice. uh, Nice. Costume. And that's what I'll stick him in. Cause at most he's going to be like in my arms when we're passing out candy. Sure. Sure. And then we'll spit up on it. Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right but uh going trick-or-treating with him would just be a very obvious candy grab for the parents but and it's i don't okay. know that i think we it's get okay. away with it i think it's okay you know <laughs> next year next year 
or the the real candy grab is here's the trick is you buy more candy than you need to pass out that's what we do every year right and then it's just your candy and that's just yeah, how that exactly. works i took jj and veronica to the zoo today for their uh trick-or-treating there and i was informed by my three-year-old daughter uh who is the most precocious of all of us that mm-hmm. uh because she was going as a cheetah i needed to go as a zookeeper okay and did you of course I did, because she told me a full three hours before this was happening. Because you don't say no to Veronica. No, you don't say no to Veronica. The entire world will learn this. Thankfully, all I needed was, like, a polo shirt, khaki pants, and, like, a hat. So it was fine. Right. It's pretty straightforward. It was pretty straightforward. No, I might I might throw Kai in his outfit and take him down to the library on Halloween, um, because my coworker... Miss Allie goes all out for there you go Halloween gotta do it and so she will she will love to see we'll love to see the baby in his fox onesie but for the photos if nothing else it is uh, my brother and sister-in-law did the the thing where you carve out a pumpkin and put your infant in the pumpkin that sounds messy and their son is about six weeks older than kai so he's about three and a half months old and it went about as well as you would imagine the pictures we got are there's only two photos that's all they could get and both are of him screaming bloody murder that seems right pumpkin seeds aren't great and Allie wants me to do that with kai and i'm gonna show her those photos and, and say it would go about as well as this here's a segue for you Please. You know who's not carving any more pumpkins? Sweeney Todd? Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford won't be carving any more pumpkins. They are leaving Sweeney Todd. They'll be carving pumpkins till January. They're not leaving till January. Yeah, it is a announcement of the holiday schedule season for Broadway as shows quickly decide whether or not they will be staying open through the holiday season and trying to make it through January uh, or if they already know they're going to change in January uh, or what have you. So it's really normal to see these stars um, push through December and like a week or two into January. That's pretty normal. So we got the announcement that Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford will play their final performance uh, in Sweeney Todd on Sunday, January 14th. Uh, but we did also get the announcement in the same breath that the show will not close. Yes, and there's a lot of rumors flying around right now about who is going to replace them. The names I've seen are... Aaron Tveit and Sutton Foster, which would be interesting choices. It would be. I don't like either of those. I mean, obviously, it's Aaron Tveit and it's Sutton Foster. So if they did the roles, they it would be great. It'd be great. It'd They're be very talented yeah. performers. But I think that there are probably better choices out there. I don't know if there are better choices to keep the show afloat. Without mm-hmm. Josh and Annalie. Yeah, because they're gonna both be the key big is... names and they're big draws at this yeah. point. And you would need that to continue Sweeney for a certain period of time. But on the other hand, the number of people who have put their hands up and said, I want to play Sweeney Todd is about half yeah. of Broadway. I am very excited to see what these names are. And in true by the Ghostlight fashion, by the time we release this episode, we might have an announcement already. It's true because we're bringing you the Broadway news. Three weeks behind the times. Yeah. Like a week. A week. Yeah. A week. Yeah. 
it is it is Monday or it is not Monday. It is Sunday the twenty second. This will come out in a week. So can I tell you what I've been enjoying on TikTok? Uh, you are either loving the baby content or doing everything you can to not see more baby content. Specifically, Broadway TikTok. Do you know okay. what I'm enjoying seeing? Broadway TikTok. Um, you're enjoying seeing all the harmony stuff because that's been good social uh, PR. I I am I am enjoying seeing the harmony stuff for sure. Not specifically what I was going to reference, but okay, that video okay. that I sent you of their like. It's full cast, you know, lining the edge of the stage, facing straight out, big, big, bold, beautiful harmonies. Like, oh my God, that so scratched an itch. So that was good. good. But no, I have been loving the clips coming out of Gutenberg the musical. Love it. Love it. Which is this this two-person show. It's Josh Gad and, and Anthony Rannells. And it's very meta. So it's very like, we're pitching a musical to you trying to get it greenlit and so it, it all feels very handmade i'd be really interested to know what their operating budget is yeah because i feel like i could put on that show with horizons operating budget it would be a little bit different i imagine slightly but um at the end of the show apparently from these videos they get some kind of celebrity guest appearance to walk on stage with a cap that says producer on it as like the producer who's green lighting their show it's very and good. i have seen Nathan Lane do it as Max Bialystok from the producers, which was such a good bit. Such a good bit, and it was like the first preview or something like that. Like, yeah, it was very good. And then today I saw Lin Manuel Miranda got pulled up to do it. I I saw the one where somebody else. um, The other one was um, I don't remember his name, but the guy who uh, produced Book of Mormon that both Andrew Randalls and Josh Gad were in. Yes, he came up and did it as well. It's a great bit. I don't know I enough it. about this so show. Fun. I want to know. I don't either. I want to know how far in advance they're able to plan these bits. Because mm-hmm. if they're if they're an important enough person that people are aware they're coming to the show early enough, then you would know and plan it. On the other hand, are you really planning eight of these every single week? Right. So if there's a if there's a night or an, a matinee that you don't plan this bit, does the show just not get greenlit? Like, are there multiple endings that would be, of Gutenberg? <laughs> that would be fascinating. Listen, I stage managed when I was in high school. I stage managed a production for the local theater. My dad directed it. And it was called My Fatal Valentine. Mm-hmm. And it was a murder mystery. And the the way that it was structured is you had the scene play out where the person gets murdered and all of the people who were in attendance, like, give their alibis to the audience and then during intermission it's this like improv section where the audience gets to go around to all the cast members and ask them questions and the cast members have like this these are the like constraints of the answers that you can give when you're asked questions like this like here's your backstory and then at the end of intermission you come back and it reveals you know who the murderer is except that there is no one set murderer is Mm -hmm. the twist of the show the audience votes at the end of intermission and whoever gets the most votes becomes the murderer for that night. So there's like eight different endings to that show. That's very interesting because you can do the clue thing where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a different murderer at the end of each show, but that's the end of the end of the show. Not all of act two is different. Yeah. And I mean, 
act two was more or less the same. It just depended on like who confessed to the murder and then had to deliver the big like confession monologue. Sure. Um, but the structure was largely the same. Okay. But I just thought that was so much fun. I'm fascinated to learn more about this show because it seems like it's everything that I love. My favorite thing about Gutenberg, the musical, is that there are, in fact, two exclamation points in the title. Because it is Gutenberg exclamation point, the musical exclamation point. And it is, of course, playing at uh, the esteemed James Earl Jones Theater. It's not at the Music Box or at the Nederlander. No, it's at the James Earl Jones. Uh, It's just I hope James Earl Jones comes to the show. And gets to be the producer at the end. I want to see James Earl Jones in, in a big old producer hat. When we say producer yep. hat, just for those who haven't seen the visual joke, like there's a bit with the hats having different uh, words and names and titles. And I think as the actors sw- literally switch hats, they're switching characters. I think it's the bit as far as I understand it, which is good, which is great. But we're not talking about um, like... A top hat with, like, something sticking out of it. No, we're talking about yellow mesh trucker hats. Giant black, like, bold black font. Huge on the front. They are ugly, and I love them. Same. Do you know, can you name, another two-person musical that made it to the Broadway? Because I could think of a couple. I can name... But not all of them were on Broadway. I The one that comes immediately to mind didn't make it. It was an off-Broadway production. It wasn't a Broadway production, and it's Daddy Long Legs, which is one of my actual favorite musicals. Daddy Long Legs is on the list of off-Broadway. Yeah, so that one what was off-Broadway. What else you got? I got a whole list here. It's the only one I got, man. Others that made it to off-Broadway include um, The Last Five Years. Oh, yeah, of course. Duh. Uh, John, Duh. And, uh, John and Jen. Murder for Two, Daddy Long Legs, Marry Me a Little. Uh, according to this article on BroadwayWorld.com, the most well-known two-person musical is likely I Do, I Do from the 60s, okay. which starred Mary Martin and Robert Preston. That uh, was a married couple over the course of several decades of life. Written by Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt, who also wrote The Fantastics. Oh, okay. So um, there's some other ones, but a lot of them were like, this one lasted for two weeks or this was technically a play with music, but it had like 15 songs. So it's a lot of music. Um, Mm. There was an Audra uh, show um, went for lady day, which was technically a play with music. It was one of those things. The other one on this list that probably counts, but the band plays a really large part in it is Hedwig and the angry inch was technically a two-hander, but the mm. band has a lot of characterization to it, and the band is on stage. Two-handers are hard. Two-handers with music are even harder. Two-handers with music that is also improv, you better be on your game. Special shout-out yeah. to whoever uh, the poor soul is who has to understudy these roles. Right. Right? Because there's got to be at least two. Yeah, and I think what really makes it work, from what I've seen, is the fact that Andrew Reynolds and Josh Gad already have such great working chemistry with each other. Sure do. Book of Mormon. Because they've still exist because really they were really good at it. Friendship. Yeah. They're very very yeah. good. Yeah, and so, so it would be so intimidating to step in for either one of those. Like I'd almost rather have both understudies go on at once than just one trying right. to to play off of 
and and capture that chemistry. Chemistry like that is so hard to replicate, but also like if you're the person that's stepping into it, so much of this is based off of their friendship. It's like you're like imitating their friendship or like trying to insert yourself into the relationship. Like it's just it's a tall, tall task to ask for any actor, much less swings and understudies who are already, you know, doing so much with so little fanfare. You know who else did so much with so little fanfare? Who, Ryan? Steven Sondheim. Have you heard of this guy? Mm, maybe. I don't know. He didn't win very of many I've heard awards. Of Steven Sondheim. He didn't win a lot of awards. He didn't. But that's okay. And that is okay. His shows were also never uh commercial smash hits, we'll say. I had a, a former coworker who liked theater but just she confessed to me she's like i i have never been able to get into sondheim and i told her i was like that is perfectly fair sondheim is is not writing for the common man no um his stuff is very niche Mm -hmm. and you are either gonna like it or you don't and honestly there's some sondheim that's too sondheim for me yes absolutely uh and uh this might be too sondheim for me because we have photos of here we are now playing at the shed, and oh dear lord, I know nothing about this plot, and I'm so glad you're here, Cassie, because we've looked at these photos now for for days. It's all I can think about. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that you have all this time that you've been up at night and you know the wee hours in the morning with Kai, and you've been able to figure out the plot of this show just from these photos. Yeah. So. Here I have like a uh, like it's just all of the cast just lined up all the way down. Um, there's a maid. Uh, there's um, what looks like a butler. There's an Elvis impersonator. There's a I, I'm gonna call her a Karen, like an accounting Karen. There's a an, uh, like a mafia don in a red velvet tracksuit. There's a um, she looks like Elsa. I think that's Elsa. There's an uh, uh-huh. a general, a uh, hippie, uh, a guy in full military fatigues, like modern military fatigues, and a literal bishop. Yeah, it's the bishop that I love. So, um, yes, could you um, do your best to explain to me the plot of Here We Are? This feels very much like devising theater classes that I used to be a part of when I was a kid. Um, my dad ran them and the the way he structured it, and I've taught a few of these as well. The way he structured it is you would go around the circle on the first day of class and everybody in the class would say the character that they wanted to play. And oh, you good. basically could do anything you wanted. Okay. Okay. And then when you had all the characters you said, okay, now we have to come up with a story where all of these characters exist in the same, you know, universe and can tell a story together. And the wildest one that I was ever a part of, it was, first of all, there were like 13 people in the class, which is honestly too many. That's too many. Yeah, it's too many. You need like six. And everybody who is in the class had done it before. Uh at least once and Uh so like when you're doing it the first time and you haven't had a lot of time to think about it you're gonna go with the really generic like i want to be a spoiled rich girl or i want to be a pop star or you know and it can kind of sort of work right there's a bunch of stereotypes you you can lean into you know yeah this is shakespeare basically (laughs) 
Yeah. But this particular class was, I want to be a Civil War nurse. I want to be a space pirate. I'm not exaggerating. These are the actual characters from this one. I want to be a merman. I want to be an evil hot dog vendor. I mean, don't we all? Don't we all? And on and on and on. And like, that's the vibe I get looking at these pictures, knowing nothing about the plot. But just like we went around the circle. Everybody chose what they wanted to be. And then we have to put them together in a show. Okay, so if we if we accept that as canon, that all of these yes. people sat down and got to pick which characters they wanted to be, and then they kind of had to figure it out because Sondheim passed before the show was finished. So they've been finishing the show mm-hmm. so that his final show could be done. Does that mean that they all just like read through Sondheim's notes, maybe from different shows, and got to like pick up the character they wanted, and they're just piecing it together? I choose to believe that that's true. Okay, cool. Because David Hyde Pierce did go with Catholic Bishop. <laughs> yes, and he's a very sassy Catholic Bishop. There's a great sure picture. Is. Oh, it's so good. Um, of him like mid song and dance with his little like bishop's crook like behind his shoulders. Everyone like, is uh, a range of, of amused to what the hell behind him. It's very good. It's a <laughs> right. great photo. Um, there's also one where yeah. he is leading a toast of everyone in the room upstage and Elsa is frantically like doing a song and dance and running towards them. But their lighting difference is drastic. It's just great. Steven Pascal yes. really said, I want to play an Elvis impersonator in a Sondheim show. Uh-huh. He, he did that. He put his hand up and said, yes, that is my life's goal. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay. Bobby Cannavale said, I want to be an Italian mobster. <laughs> Michaela Diamond, fresh off of uh, Parade. Yeah. Sondheim's favorite hippie now. Looks like a lesbian yep. hippie. And Elsa, the the iconic Stephen Sondheim character. Mm, yeah. I think it's really important to keep in mind about this musical is that it was not, it's not a completed musical. Like Correct. Stephen Sondheim yeah. was in the middle of it. And so this is very much other people coming in and finishing his work. Yes. And it's it's being figured out. It's the same thing I, I remind people about Rent sometimes, mm-hmm. is that Rent is a musical in progress because Jonathan Larson died the night the show opened in previews. So yeah. it never went through that process of getting feedback and making changes. Yeah. And I feel like this is going to fall into a similar vein because there are certainly changes that could be made to the book or the story, but the music is what it is. Yep. Music and unless somebody's going to go edit Sondheim. <laughs> no. No, thanks. <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, hold on. What's our good friend Andy up to? He's got the musical chops, right? To edit Sondheim. Ryan, there are some jokes you can't make, and that's one of them. Oops. My favorite photo from this is uh, all of them like standing at a, a bar or a, a table eating, having drinks, whatever, and there's a waiter. Um, the more I look at the table, though, the more it looks like it's literally floating in space. This table does not have legs. Is it the Anything Cafe? Where they're all standing around? Not the one where they're sitting on the Is that the front. picture? 
No, not the one where they're sitting on the front. Okay, not that one. No, it's this one. Oh, yeah. That must be hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, that's a hanging table. That is a choice. But I also don't uh, don't see any wires. Well, they might be invisible. They are very invisible. This is the most invisible <laughs> wires very I've well ever done. not seen. There you go. Somebody said, no, it's hey, magic. hey Dennis- son- Sondheim, we figured out how to do magic for you just in time. Oh, boy. Dennis O'Hare, who's the waiter in this picture, it looks like, he's learned how to do magic. He's a magician. See, I was convinced until I saw that anything that it was a cafe, right? I was convinced that that photo was of him uh, hosting a game show. It's got big game show vibes. Okay. That suit that he's got on. Big game show energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, speaking of game shows, does a sing-along performance count as a game show? Only if there's a prize at the end. The prize is that you got to sing along with Tony nominees and award winners. And this is this is a bad transitional bit. But we did talk about sing-along performances of six on tour, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And Juliet will commemorate one year on Broadway with a sing-along performance. Oh, awesome. I desperately want to go now. Yeah. I would love to be at this thing. Um, they're doing a one-year celebration. Does that coincide with your annual trip? No, it won't because it's in the middle of November. Um, during the Broadway Ugh. sing-along, audience members will be allowed and encouraged to belt out along with the cast. There will be a post-show talk back. Um, and all weekend there's going to be... Uh, 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 like fan paper, like sweepstakes and some other things, and uh, they're gonna have um, special guests, and it's it's gonna be a whole thing, which just makes me very happy. But yeah, they do have uh two Tony nominees and a Tony winner still in that cast, um, plus the entire creative team behind it. But yeah, so there we go, sing along performance on Broadway, and that's another really great show to test that with because everybody knows those songs already exactly i will say that one pro in the list of pros and cons for jukebox musicals is if you're gonna have a sing-along performance of a jukebox musical everybody already knows the music so do we still get subtitles on stage somewhere i want that with the bouncing ball with the bouncing ball well it's and juliet so it's the heart it's the bouncing heart yes Yes, I want that. I want, a la the the bullet in Hamilton, I want that to be a person. Delightful. Delightful. That is the just understudies like, role that day. Yes. They just say, hey, we're going to pay you guys 10 bucks extra today to run around with giant cue cards that have all the words on them. It's going to be Saturday Night Live. And then one Live, person is the bouncing basically. ball who has, has the to go like, back and forth. And yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Why don't they pay us? more money to do this because we they have great hire ideas. us we have great yeah. ideas we do uh in in other anniversary news um wicked's coming up on 20 years and 20 uh 20 wicked uh continues to be a thing all over the internet and on broadway and everything um now we got um a defying gravity featuring four uh, Alpha Buzz, the uh, two current on Broadway and two former, and we got a uh, v- uh, rendition of Popular featuring um, the current Glinda and f- uh, four uh, former Glindas, uh, including Carol Lindsay. So 
they are really doing everything they can to really, really make 20, 20 years stand out, which is amazing because 20 years I mean, of anything is a lot. It's a big deal. Shows don't run on Broadway that long. Sure don't. And very, in that giant theater. Yeah. It's not like they're selling 400 tickets a show. I don't quite understand the people who are like, I've seen Wicked nine times and I've seen this this many times. Like, I'm not, I don't, like, I can understand, like, people have their favorites and everything. But, like, personally, I would want to see more shows. Like, I don't want to go see Hamilton six times. I'd rather go see six different shows. Maybe it's just me. But. Wicked is the one that I hear a lot of people talk about. They're like, oh, I'm going to see Wicked. It's my 12th time seeing it. I'm so excited. I'm like, okay, great. I'm, I'm glad you have happiness in life. What's uh, What show have you seen the most? I think <laughs> me. Yeah. Is it Come From Away? Well, that depends. If you're talking like. Has to be at least regional level. Okay. Uh, musicals or just any show? Either, I think. I have seen so many productions of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Like I've seen like ten different productions of that yeah, show. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a handful of those too. Um, I've seen a lot of Into the Woods because I seek out productions of Into the Woods because I'm always fascinated okay, to see what sure, people do with sure. it. Many different ways of doing it. So, so like I think there's a difference between like I see multiple productions of Into the Woods versus seeing. Wicked on Broadway 12 times when that's the same show. Like, it's different performers. Yeah. And that is one reason why I would be tempted to go back is like, oh, this person's now playing Glinda or this person's playing Alphabet. I want to see them do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if I could have, when we were in New York and we saw Wicked, if I could have arranged a time to go see Wicked again when Brittany Johnson was on. She was understudy Glinda at that point. Yeah. Like I would have forked over the money go- to go see the show again because I was really interested to see her Glinda. Brittany Johnson is a Glinda I saw. I got to, yeah. I, she was the one I saw. I can see it, right? Like, but at that point, is it, you want to go see that person or you want to go see the, like, I don't know. It's just strange. I mean, people do the same thing with Chicago. Yeah. And and so I would say, like, I'm I'm kind of in the same camp you are with I would rather see more shows than see the same show repeatedly. Um, I think it depends on how much it impacts you when you do see it, though, because obviously when I direct a show, I see every single performance of that show. Like, right, right. I have to. I'm the director. It's my job. Yeah. Um, But. Apart from shows that I've directed, I've only seen one show, Lies, two. I've seen two shows where I watched the night that I intended to go and was so enthralled by the show that I immediately bought a ticket to see it again. Okay. And they were both BGSU productions. I did that with A Winter's Tale. Okay. Um, directed by Darren Kerr, who... Mm-hmm was near and dear mm. to the BGSU theater community and who very recently passed away. Yeah. Um, put on a truly phenomenal production of Winter's Tale. And um, they did a show called Arabian Nights. Oh, uh, yes. Arabian Nights. I saw Arabian Nights. I immediately bought a ticket for the next night of Arabian Nights I to see Arabian it again because it was a phenomenal production. Was, uh, that was so good. So I can kind of see like, especially with these shows that have a lot going on, you mentioned Come From Away and I think that that one would be fair because there's, it's so... In- it's such an intricate show. 
mm-hmm. that if if I walk out of a show going, I didn't catch everything. I need to watch it again so that I can catch everything that's happening. Right. So I can see the argument for like Hamilton with that as well, mm-hmm. because Hamilton is also intricate in that way. I don't know that Wicked is intricate in that way. Right. But you can watch Hamilton as many times as you want on Disney Plus now. Right. Exactly. So that's so like. At what point does pro shots come into this? Like, it's a this is not a topic I thought we were going to have a whole conversation about, but like, yeah, here we are. There are people out there, and I'm not trying to like naysay them, but there's there's people out there that have like gone to New York City, you know, every June for the last 20 years just to see Wicked, and that's their thing, and that's great. We love those people. Yeah, more I don't I don't get it, but great. And that's fair. Like, I like Wicked. And if a tour is coming around near me, I will probably make arrangements to go see the tour. But if I'm going to New York every year, I'm not going to see the same show every year. Right. I'm going to to kind of spread it out. It's honestly why it took me so long to see Lion King on stage. Because every time I was in New York and I was like, well, I could see Lion King. Or, or I can see a show that's yeah. not going to be around the next time I come. Exactly. Or this or that or whatever, right? There's a whole long list, right? I haven't seen The Lion King. I haven't seen Aladdin. Um, I I still haven't seen Book of Mormon on stage. So I'm like, I, it's going to be here forever. Also, I know the 12 jokes, so it's fine, right? Like, I want to go see this new thing, this other thing, or... You know, something that still has original cast in it. Because I can also, this is going to sound snobby, and I'm fine with it. I feel like I can tell the difference between original cast and not original cast when you see it. There's just something to, like, going through the process of creating the show and the character that a replacement didn't do. I know. I think that's valid. I don't necessarily think it's snotty because I don't think you're saying it in like a well. I'm so discerning that I can tell that. Oh there no, is for a sure, for sure, like, I, for sure, I'm saying that. <laughs> well, of course. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, but there's there's definitely a difference between I created this character. It is my own. I made these creative choices. And then you step away from that part, but that part is continuing, and so the next person who comes in. Especially, like, when you think about Broadway versus touring productions, like, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be the same show. Right. You're not supposed to be able to tell a difference, really, between the Glindas. Like, you have little moments, but, like, a lot of those decisions have already been made for you. Sure. And I think that that's very, very true. And actually, I saw that today with the show that I saw. Um, So I, I was able to go up and see the Toledo School for the Arts production of She Loves Me Today. Okay. Their closing night performance. And this is a um, show from the 60s. Uh, same composing team that wrote Fiddler on the Roof uh, wrote this show. Everyone's and favorite show. And there is... Cat on a Hot Tin Fiddler. Nope, that's not right. No. Roof on a Stormy Night? Nope. Uh, uh, a Fiddler named Streetcar? No. Uh, Perfect. A Fiddler uh, named Streetcar. I love it. Um, but there is very famously a pro shot of the production of She Loves Me that was off Broadway, I think in 2015, with Zachary Levi and Laura Benanti and Gavin Creel and uh, Jane Krasin- Krasinski. Krakowski? Krakowski. Krasinski is somebody different. Um, but like very big names in mm-hmm. this production of She Loves Me. 
and there is a pro shot and you can watch it. It is available. And one of the things that I was struck by with this production and the production was good. It was a very talented cast. I want to say that before I come out with like a little bit of a criticism Um, because the, the performers were very talented, but I frequently could tell, especially with the two leads that they were trying to recreate moments from the pro shot. And it was, it was a little like sad, honestly, sitting there. And if you haven't watched the pro shot several times, like I have, you probably wouldn't notice it, but I did. And I'm sitting there going, okay, but you're not Zachary Levi. You're not Laura Benanti. And that's not like a dig on you. It's feel the freedom to create your own interpretation of this character Mm -hmm. because it's going to read more genuine when you are able to do that. Sure. Sure will. But those choices work for a reason, right? It's true. So, but you also have to be able to hit the beats and they weren't quite getting some of the comedic moments because it was very much, I'm imitating what Laura Benanti did when this joke landed Instead of thinking, okay, well, what is the joke? Mm-hmm. What is the comedy that she's infusing in it? Why did it work when she did it? How do I recreate that? For sure. That was not the thought process. I, I, yes. So, oh man, there's so much to this. I think this is where we're going to get stuck for the rest of the episode. And I'm good with that. Um, cool. There's, I'm a, I'm of two, two modes of thought for this. Um, and I think a large part of that decision is based solely on the, experience of your performers mm-hmm. as i've talked about on every single episode of the show i've directed going on 11 junior musicals with a bunch of 12 year olds most of them have done a couple of shows at most they have not taken acting classes they have not this they have not that like they're learning and we're going we're, we're doing it as we go so every every year i make it a point at the beginning of the process to go, okay, we're all going to sit down and we're going to watch whatever the version of this show is. Sometimes it's because it's a golden age musical and I'm like, there's no way 45, 12 year olds have seen the music man. Right. Right. So it's like, okay, I need you all to understand the greater story and then we'll pare it down. We'll do the junior version and it's a good starting point. Right. But I don't have them rewatch it every week to figure it out right we all sat down and we watched newsies and then we could talk about what's different and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do right or what parts of the show we're are in the script and what are not so that we can understand beats and stuff but i also don't want my 12 year old trying to be jeremy jordan no because it's not going to work for anybody but also if i can have that 12 year old who maybe doesn't have the lingo or the parlance or the training who can go, okay, I maybe can't figure out how to do an accent, but I can absolutely imitate Jeremy Jordan vocally. Yeah. Right. Like I can mimic speech patterns or I can mimic uh, vocal choices. Right. And then I try to kind of backdoor in from that a little bit of, well, why are we making this choice? have something behind it have reason to it and you're not just mimicking and it's a fine line and it for all of for all of my junior shows it's always different every year it depends on the show and it depends on the actors um so i see the some value to it situationally mm-hmm. on the other hand i just did uh a streetcar named desire which is one of the most 
famous American plays ever written. Me and my castmates all made a concerted choice right when we got cast that we would not watch the movie. Yeah. Came together as a group with the director and we're like, we're not watching the movie. We're not refreshing ourselves on anything. We're not touching it because we want to do this on our own. Because if our Stanley is trying to be Marlon Brando, this show will not be good. Right. And that is true. And then we put a lot, a lot of work into it and it made everything, uh, it made everything very hard and difficult. And we had to do a lot of work. We had to figure out a lot of things and we did a lot of things wrong in rehearsals and it was, it was tough and it was hard, but it made it real and we understood all the choices we were making and it gave us buy-in and commitment to the show and the script and each other and we had this really really innate understanding of what was happening and I think that's really really important for these dramas because if the if the stakes aren't there for the actors like the audience does not care because that is a long serious show it's a bummer it's it's a bummer a big old bummer of a show but if everybody has put in that work and there's a certain degree of talent attached to it to put in that work, that's when you get, uh, you know, when you can strike gold like that. I still haven't watched the film version of Streetcar. And I don't, I've reached the point now where I'm like, I don't really want to because, like, that version of Streetcar now to me is not my streetcar, right? That's not, yeah, that's not the streetcar I know. I know this version that I did with now my very, very good friends that we all, you know, trauma bonded with. Right. So, well, and it's, yeah, it's similar to um, when I direct musicals for which there is a soundtrack available, I will tell the kids like, hey, absolutely listen to this soundtrack leading up to auditions so that you're familiar with the music from the show so that you get to like understand the story. But once we start rehearsals, I do not want you listening to Mm. the soundtrack. First of all, because a lot of times soundtracks are different from the actual like score that you get for a musical. They They will truncate things or they will skip over stuff or they will add dialogue. Or sometimes it's an older soundtrack and the show went under changes before it got released to you. And the lyrics are different. Um, or there's not this break here. Or maybe it's Shrek and they replaced whole songs, right? Right, exactly. For the tour and the, um, yeah. Well, and, and 13, the musical too, specifically, is, is the one I'm thinking about. Like that show underwent a lot of changes between the soundtrack being recorded and the show being released for community productions. And I don't want you going into our show with the soundtrack in your head because I want you to feel the freedom to put your own meaning into the song. I want you to find yeah. the meaning for yourself. And I don't want you to try and imitate, well, this actress on Broadway did this riff here. And so I want to do the same riff here. Like, we're going to find a way to do this that fits your voice. We're going to make sure that what we're doing fits our interpretation of the character. And I think that that's kind of a similar situation, especially when you're working with young people. It's finding that balance between this is a good example of how this character was done well, Mm -hmm. but I don't want you to just recreate this performance. That's not what we're about. Right. But on the other hand, if you're playing Elphaba, you have to change the end of Defying Gravity every single time. Yes. Like, it's a weird thing. Or like uh, Moulin Rouge, during uh, that that, uh, opt-up that Aaron Tveit figured out to do 
well after the soundtrack was recorded. It's no longer on the uh-huh. soundtrack, but it's all over TikTok, right? And yeah. that's in my head. That's how it is, but that's not the soundtrack. And now, yeah. And now the replacement Christians are doing the opt up differently, or are right. It, it's just theater's weird. It is, and it's like it's fascinating because you do kind of ingrain the soundtrack version of something when you listen to it over and over again. Um, I was, I was uh, driving with my mom somewhere the other week and uh, she has Sirius XM in her car and she's playing the Broadway station. Hmm. And at one point, Fixer Upper from Frozen came on. (laughs) Okay. And I was sitting there listening to it and, and I have a playlist um, of like, just Broadway mix that I, I listen to when I walk places and I've got fixer upper from frozen, the Broadway musical on there. And so I'm listening to the song. I'm like, why does this sound weird? Sure. Why is like, this doesn't sound right. Why does this sound wrong? And then Christoph had his spoken line and I was like, Oh, that's Jonathan Groff. This is the movie. Uh-huh. That's not, that's not Jelani who played Christoph in the musical. Like that's why it sounds weird is because, yeah. Those just changes a di- were it's made. It's literally just a different version. Yeah. And it sounds so different. So it's just weird. It's an interesting balance, especially working with young people. And it's this interesting question of like Broadway shows that run forever when you are stepping into because the, like there's there is that pressure if you're doing a community production of a play with well known um performers like The Music Man where the role of Harold Hill was written for Robert Preston. Right. Who originated it. So it's like, he's the iconic version of that character. So there is that pressure to like live up to what he did, but that's different from I'm literally replacing Kristen Chenoweth as Glinda on Broadway. Yeah. You have to and do I exactly have to what play she Play Kristen Chenoweth's Glinda. Yeah. You're not playing Glinda. You're playing Kristen's Glinda. Kristen Chenoweth Glinda. Yeah. It is your your job is to try to play Kristen's Glinda. Like, that's it. And that feels like such a weird amount of added pressure. But at this point, you're also so many generations of Glinda removed from Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Is it still Kristen's Glinda or is it just Glinda? And it's been added and changed over 20 years. It's just ah, the legacy the palimpsest of, theater. of theater. Yep. There you go. Hey, you worked in palimpsest. Great job. I did. I work in palimpsest whenever I can. That's one of go. my favorite words. I'm about to do Guys and Dolls uh, mm-hmm. with this uh, aforementioned group of 12-year-olds, and that is obviously uh, Brando and Sinatra. You know, I'm not going to get 12-year-olds that sound like Sinatra. That's not going to happen. Do you also find it a struggle because you've directed this show before? So that is interesting for this, too, because I absolutely hear Guys and Dolls in the voices of the first handful of students I had when I do it the, did it the first time because I kind of I kind of lucked out and had like four really good voices for um, Sarah, Sky, Nathan, and Adelaide. And it was great. Um, I don't know how I'm going to find a 12-year-old or 13-year-old who can do the Adelaide voice like the girl did the first time. So I don't know. It's going <laughs> to it's gonna be interesting. I absolutely hear their voices still when I do it. There's some shows and it's, it's different for different shows. There's like some that I'm like, I don't remember how so-and-so sounded when they sang this for me, but I absolutely remember how, you know, uh, uh, our good friend Zio sounded when she did Legally Blonde for me. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the L Woods in my head. And 
that's just how it is because theater is weird. Well, and I'm at the point where I've been directing for about 15 years now. And so I'm I'm reaching a point where it's like I can revisit shows I did early on in my career. And I've only done one repeat show so far. And I didn't run into the problem of like, I don't want to just recreate what I did the first time. Because the first time I directed it, I was 21. And I it was the second show I'd ever directed. And I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And I was under significant constraints in terms of space and set and uh like ability to make things mm-hmm. and so the second time i did it i was like okay now i can actually like use the full everything that i have at my disposal and make this like what i really wanted it to be when i was 21 but didn't right. know how to how to put on stage but i am looking at um relaunching all i really need to learn in kindergarten this upcoming spring and the first version of that show that I did was pretty close to a perfect production in a lot of ways. And so I'm, as I'm starting prep for that, I'm really trying to be very conscious of making intentional decisions for this performance and the things that I am doing the same that I did before. I want to make sure that I'm doing it the same way for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. And not just because, oh, that's how I did it the first time. But I'm finding that a real struggle this time around. So the way I've done it, because I've done Beauty and the Beast twice. I've done Newsies twice. This will be my second time Guys and Dolls. I've done Legally Blonde a couple times. Like it, There's also only so many shows, so that helps. Like Beauty and the Beast, the second time I did it, we were deep into COVID, so everything was different. It had to be. Looking now at Guys and Dolls, I'm like, I don't know how, like, how different can guys and dolls be like guys and dolls kind of is what it is like there's there's a way to do it and that's 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 it like it looks a certain way it feels a certain way the choreography is a certain way like the show is kind of what it is the thing i'm really leaning on is knowing that all of my uh, production team is different from the last time i did this so i have a very different group of creators around me so things are automatically different because there will be different choices. So that helps immensely. Also, the last time I did this was literally 11 years ago. So I kind of remember it. I think I have a DVD (laughs) of it somewhere. (laughs) But I'm looking forward to the challenge, but it's also, it it is weird because it's like, okay, I've already done this. So I I already feel like I've done a lot of the work for it. So I I don't want to not prep for it, but I also don't want to over prep it. Well, at the yeah. same time. So it'll be interesting. I have those auditions in like two weeks. So we're getting we're getting cool. going. Yeah. And, and by the same token, like there are shows that I've directed that I already know I will not mount a second time mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be fair to that group of kids because the first production of it was so magical. Like I, I do not see myself directing Godspell again. Right, you'll because never do the God's group I had, I will, I will never have that group again. And just because of, it was the COVID seniors from both years, and it was put together the way that it was. Like just everything that came together to make that show, is not something I can recreate with any other group of students. Nope. And I feel like it would be unfair to them. And now, like twenty, thirty years down the line, maybe because. Yeah, that's a long time. There there will be enough time yeah. between them, but like in the immediate future, 
I I yeah. do not envision myself remounting that show. I was at the point with shows at Gateway because there's only so many good junior versions. Mm-hmm. Um, I I told myself that all of the students from the show, so my sixth graders from that year, had to have graduated high school for me to do that show again. Is it's kind of what I settled on. And I almost made it. Uh, and then the year that we did Beauty and the Beast the second time, those sixth graders were seniors. Um, but so it, it worked out. It was like, so I don't want to be doing a show and like, okay, the sixth graders, okay, we did this four years ago. So it's still fresh in everyone's memory. But also, if we have everything for Beauty and the Beast, why aren't we doing it every four years? Because it's going to mm-hmm. make money and everyone loves it. That's That's its own like tricky question as well. That is its uh, whole own thing. And we are, we've thing. already been talking for an hour, Cassie. Yeah. You got to let these poor folks get us out of their eardrums. Hey, I think this is an interesting topic. I, th- I feel like sometimes our best episodes are when we start going off for a long time on like something that we hadn't even oh, for sure. discussed. It's like discussing. we've done a lot of theater and we kind of know what we're talking about a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. Unfortunately. Maybe. Through trial and error. I think a good rule of thumb circling it back to distance between shows for me as a director is I want the first production to have not faded completely out of memory, but mostly because I I don't want the second group to be trying to be the first group. Right. I don't want them imitating. I want them finding their own interpretation of these characters for this production in this moment. Otherwise we're all just Copying Adina Menzel. Exactly. Who is pretty good at what she does. Who's pretty good. Like, you, there are worse fates. There's worse fates. Like, you know, that's a pretty good gig. If you if that, if that you can get paid to do that, you get paid to do that. Good job. Is this how we got Elvis impersonators? I think this is how we got Elvis impersonators. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for coming along with us on this uh, long rambling uh, news update, but also uh, talk through, you know, how show selection works and maybe the cyclical nature of theater because it kind of all comes back around. We are part of the Ghostlight Media Network. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia and all the other fine, fine shows on the network. I will be down at a catacon in Dayton here uh, the weekend of November 4th, 5th, and 6th. Uh, and we have, I'm sure Cassie's already seen the buttons, but we have buttons yeah, they I have one great. over on my bookshelf. They look great. We might need to update our art next time, but they look great. I will not be at a catacon because I will be taking care of my child while my husband is at a catacon. But if you see him there, ask to see a picture of my cute baby. There you go. We'll just put the baby photo on the ghost light table. Perfect. And we'll see if that is more of a draw than the uh, numerous special guests that we have. Literally at the show this afternoon, I saw an HYT parent who greeted me with, show me a picture. That was that was the greeting. That was the hello. That was it. That was it. No niceties. No pleasantries. <laughs> nope. Show me a Let's picture. Let's get down to business. I know it's important now. To be fair, he's a cute baby. He is a cute baby. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. <laughs> we're really getting tangential on this show more than we already were. And that's okay. People are listening anyway. 
Um, if you are a Patreon member, uh, talk to us over on the Discord server. That would be great. Uh, let us know what shows you're looking forward to. Or if you've got like any topics to suggest, maybe things that we've covered before that you've got questions about, we would love to hear that and get some ideas for some upcoming shows. That would be super great. We... I think it would be a great show if we did like an ask me anything where people submitted theater questions that you want to know our opinions about. I think that would be great until I accidentally turn it into a trivia show and Cassie <laughs> fires me. Well, that's all for us on this episode of by the ghost light. Thank you so much for joining us. My name's Ryan. My name's Cassie. And join us next time by the ghost. Light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.